couldn't move. Couldn't take my eyes off him. A living, breathing monster, at least ten feet tall, standing inside the locked room. I gaped at his big, furry body, a body like a gorilla, with leaves and tree roots and sand tangled in his fur. His head was scaly, with a snapping row of jagged alligator teeth. A foul stench filled the room, the putrid smell of decay, the smell of the swamp. The creature raised his eyes to me, bulging eyes set into the sides of his enormous head. He held me in his stare for a moment, then he glanced down at his hairy paws, where he balanced a tall stack of pancakes. Hello. And welcome. To Say Podcast and Die. The podcast where two queers sit in their closet and talk to you about goosebumps. That's right. And today we are talking about one that neither of us had ever read before, How to Kill a Monster. That's right. Number 46. I'm Alyssa. I'm Andy. So let's get into it. What's our cover look like this week? It looks really cool. I love these people's choice of watermelon colored wallpaper to go with their flamingo pink door. (laughs) Which is being opened by a fuzzy green monster coming out of a somewhat messy bedroom. Yeah, the claws of this monster remind me of Sully from Monsters, Inc. Yeah, it's got sharp, pointy silver claws, but otherwise, as far as we can see, looks a bit like a Muppet. Yeah, and there's a fancy-looking key sticking out of the lock in the door. The kind of old-timey key that I was always disappointed is not what keys looked like. Yeah, exactly. So unromantic, normally. The back cover here also is interesting. It describes this book as... Home Alone. With a monster? Yeah. And as we were sitting down to record, I thought, oh, shit, I wonder if that was just the pitch for this book. You know, it's like the movie Home Alone, but with a monster. Because it's kind <laughs> of how it ends up. I feel like that's the thought process Earl Stein had. It was probably like the winter season and that was on TV and he was like, hmm, with a monster. Yeah. I'll do that. Yeah, exactly. Two weeks later, here it is. Yeah. Monster's eye view of this plot. Gretchen is our protagonist. She and her stepbrother, Clark, have to go live with their weird grandparents. Uh, I assume their dad's childhood home, which is a castle in a swamp that's full of monsters. Their grandparents, I don't know what their angle is. The big question I'm going to have for you, Alyssa, and for all you goose punks who are listening, is what is this really about? Mm -hmm. What is this family drama? Totally. Because what happens is the grandparents have trapped a monster in their house. They get the grandkids there. And then they leave the grandkids locked, completely sealed into the house with the monster with some notes saying, don't let it out. We're going to go figure out what to do. Bye. Of course, the kids already have at this point let it out. And then they run around the house trying to get away from the monster, trying to kill it. Just pretty violent plot, honestly. It really does go full Home Alone. Yeah, exactly. Which I think is such a good comparison. I hadn't thought about it until you said it. But, you know, we've seen Goose Kids their minds go straight to murder before, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, my favorite example is Night of the Living Dummy, where the girls are like, let's rip him in half. Yeah. <laughs> let's yank his head off. Yeah. But this is the first one where we see them seemingly carry it out, mm-hmm. though we never see the body. And then they go out into the swamp and they realize, oh, they never read the grandparents' second letter they left. And it says, don't go into the swamp, which, you know, why did you choose the swamp over the road? Right. Why would you go into the swamp ever? At night. At night, yeah. When there's a road. Like, even if there weren't monsters, you'd still be in a swamp full of, you know, gators and other swamp creatures. Yeah. Mosquitoes. Yeah, mosquitoes. You could get malaria. Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> Let's get into it. Southern Georgia, 1996. It's summer. Alyssa, do you know what else was happening in the great state of Georgia in summer of 1996? Olympics. The Olympics, that's right. Hey. The Magnificent Seven. Dominique Dawes, Dominique Mucciano. Wow. The whole gang. Road to Glory. Wow, that's the same same summer that these events are happening in. Yeah, I don't know if the Olympics is relevant context for this book, but we can think about it. Definitely the Olympics involves a lot of exploiting children <laughs> and putting true. them in dangerous situations. E.g. Carrie Strug in those very Olympics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. So, to grandparents' house we go. That's right. Gretchen, our narrator, and her stepbrother Clark are being driven by their parents along with their dog Charlie, to their grandparents' house in the swamp while mom and dad are going to go do stuff in Atlanta. A work emergency. It's the same setup as Monster Blood 1. Yeah, I wonder if they work with Evan's mom. Yeah. Doubt they work with Evan's dad because I don't think he has work emergencies with his sculptures. Sculpture emergency? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You never know. They're going to visit Grandma Rose and Grandpa Eddie. They live in Mudtown, which is a swamp. In my note, right from the get-go, this feels like a mashup of a few different books, right? We have Monster Blood 1, we have You Can't Scare Me, 
Yeah, I had I had Scarecrow and Mummy also because Mummy had a work emergency where Gabe's yeah. parents had to go to Egypt or they went to Alexandria, I yeah, think, for a and, refrigerator emergency. Right, and then obviously Scarecrow being out in the country with strange older relatives mm-hmm. and Werewolf of Fever Swamp being in a swamp. Yeah, Earl Stein's revisiting some classics. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the Us, you know, Jordan Peele's Us. With like, don't you... compare this book to Us. <laughs> I only mean to the extent that it references a bunch of other works. Okay. In a genre. That's acceptable. <laughs> we're seeing a blended family for the first time. Second so, time. Uh, but they weren't a blended... We had a divorced family before, oh, you're but they right. weren't a blended family. It was just God. there wasn't a mom. Yeah. Yeah. Gretchen's dad married Clark's mom when they were both three, and they're both sets of kids, their parents were divorced when they were like two. Yeah. So we have the same thing we've seen in other books where two, like a parent and a kid look alike and another parent and another kid look alike, but this time... It makes sense. It makes even more sense, yeah. So Gretchen is tall and blonde, and Clark is short and has brown curly hair, and they're the same age, but very different personality-wise. She likes to read nature books, and he likes to read sci-fi books. Yeah. I feel like it's not that different, but... No, but sometimes you just need to differentiate yourself somehow. Yeah. But the hero of the family is obviously Charlie, the Golden Retriever. Yeah. Who's just like, hey, I'm here too. I'm here to have a good time. I wish you guys wouldn't make things so complicated. Yeah. What did, what did you think of this blended family? You know, it was interesting because I was very surprised to see it. Fairly quickly, though, I kind of got the sense that this blended family was the equivalent of the token, insert marginalized group, best mm-hmm. friend of the, you know, also famed of the 1990s and, you know, ongoing because it doesn't ever really come into play. It doesn't affect their dynamics. Yeah, it's like, here, look, this is also a kind of family you can have. Yeah, I mean, re- good representation in that it is representation. But you're right. The thing that was strange was we never hear about the other parents. The kids mm-hmm. aren't thinking about them at all. And it, it seems like they must not be in the picture because they're not going to stay with them while their parents are away. Yeah, that's true. That's a good yeah. point, actually. I haven't thought of that. Mm-hmm. And. Gretchen calls her stepmom mom, and Clark calls his stepdad dad. Yeah. And occasionally she'll, you know, she'll she'll refer to Clark as her stepbrother. But yeah, it's mom and dad for both of them. The, the one time where it does come up as a relevant point of sort of relationship status is when Clark points out, these aren't even my grandparents. Like, I don't yeah. want to, neither of us want to stay with them, but I really shouldn't have to. Yeah. But mom and dad work together, so I wonder if that's how they met. Maybe. Well, do you notice what Clark is reading? He's reading a comic book. Yeah, Creatures from the Muck. But it's mud monsters, basically, mm-hmm. right? Which we've seen in a few books. But they have the same kind of, like you are saying with You Can't Scare Me, they come out of the mud and drag people down. But then there's an added plot element, which is that it's to make people their slaves, which is what Arlstein just seems to compulsively go back to. Part of me is like, is there some weird racial stuff happening here? Mm-hmm. They're in, and this time they're in the South, for exactly. sure. So, yeah. I would expect a horror movie set set in the South that thematized slavery to be about race in some way. Yeah. But we sort of skim right over that. We also get a lot of points about the landscape being weird looking. There are gray webs on trees and mom told them about these like web things that are plants that live on trees. Yeah, mom, they make a point of saying she knows a lot about the swamp and I'm very suspicious of the parents in this. Me too. I say the parents are either setting them up or the parents died. Yes. As soon as they left the house. I agree. Also, speaking of things that don't get answered, so they go driving across this dangerous rickety bridge. Something explodes behind them. We never investigate what that was. I thought it was their tire. They have a blowout. Is that all it was? I thought there was an explosion on the bridge. Like in uh, One Day at Horrorland. Oh, so I assumed it was just their tire going, poo. Okay. Maybe that was it. I don't, we don't have a car, so I can only assume that that's how tires, flat tires they just become explode. flat tires. Yeah. <laughs> it might um, even so have been a, a, a setup. That's fair. There's a lot that's fishy here that we don't get any resolution about. They go careening off the bridge, but I guess they don't fall very far, just into some mud. They, the parents are busy changing the tire and Gretchen and Clark just wander into the swamp. Yeah. Clark is complaining about all the bugs, but Gretchen's like, no, let's see the swamp. And I'm thoroughly on team Clark here. Like, no, don't go into the swamp. Bugs are terrible. Sit in the car, read your comic book. Yeah. But she does anyway. And then a beast with glowing red eyes comes running after her. It's their dog. It's Charlie. He doesn't have glowing red eyes, I don't think. No. Unless he's... No, because the dog in the Goosebumps intro has, like, yellow eyes. Yeah. Maybe it's how in the dark, if you look at a dog and oh, the yeah. light catches their eyes, the you can reflector. sort of see the reflector lenses. Yeah. Well, then they do have to sit in the car next to a muddy dog, which which is a horror. <laughs> 
It's the least horrifying thing about what's ahead for them. Yeah, and for this dog. So they are on their merry way to grandparents' house. They see it in the distance, and Clark says, oh, it looks like a swamp mirage, which I at first thought was rude. Then they describe the house, and it looks literally like a castle. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that it would be built on a swamp. Yeah. Isn't that the castle swamp castle in Monty Python? The oh, one with it? the huge tracts of land guy? <laughs> I think it is. Oh, I think you're right. <laughs> but yeah, you wouldn't build a castle on a swamp. That's even the joke in it. It's like, then it sunk into the swamp. But I built another castle. Yeah. That sunk into the swamp too. Yeah. I bet you Arlstein was watching Home Alone and Monty Python and the Holy Grail back to back and was yeah. like, okay, this is writing itself. Yeah. He was like procrastinating and also looking at other of his books. And it's like, I got this. <laughs> so the grandparents come out to greet them and... Again, similar to some of previous books, Grandpa is hard of hearing, so we get a lot of him going, what? And not not realizing what they're saying. Yeah, misunderstanding. There's also pictures of dead relatives all over the walls, which I feel like is kind of ominous. Like, yeah. I as mean, are we, so will you be. That's true. Although I was just thinking about it, it's like, well, to Grandma and Grandpa, it's probably just relatives, right? And yeah. Maybe have died over the years, but it's oh. just family pictures. Ouch. That's upsetting. Yeah. So they go in to this like huge living room that the kids say is bigger than their house and it's painted green and it's lit by an iron chandelier with 12 candles in it yeah it's intense some like really intense like sometimes like quasi medieval stuff going on here i really want to know what grandma and grandpa's subculture is yeah goth yeah maybe that would make sense actually clark says they seem like they might be vampires Mm -hmm. maybe that's also their subculture (laughs) why don't they have a phone I don't know. I don't want... Maybe they're just ahead of the times. To Like millennials now, they're like, I don't want anyone calling me. I'm disconnecting. Yeah. Maybe they're like, oh, we're off the grid. Or they're like cosplaying, <laughs> being these sort of medieval, scary people. Ooh. Yeah, maybe they're cosplayers. I could see that. Mm-hmm. And maybe the monster is actually also a cosplayer, and this is just a joke they played that went horribly wrong, because they didn't think their kids would actually kill the monster. Yeah. Grandkids, rather. Well... Grandma makes everyone individual chicken pot pies, which I thought was pretty sweet. I bet she just got Marie Callender's. Oh, you're so unimpressed. But here I was like, we should make individual little hand pies again. Oh, yeah, we can do that tonight, honey. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> I just, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. She Where is she getting Marie Callender's from, though? They li- general store. I guess so. I guess the general store would probably have, like, frozen Marie Callender's pot pies. I feel like they're more likely to have that than they are to have all of the ingredients for a chicken pot pie. What do you need? Flour, some fat, some chicken... Some frozen peas. <laughs> Maybe they would. I don't know. I, I I thought it was pretty... Like, what else does she have to do besides make chicken pot pie? So wait, you are impressed, though. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I can't tell. I'm impressed by pies. She really likes pies. I, she makes only round foods. She makes chicken pot pie and then later rhubarb pie and then and later pancakes. blueberry pancakes. Yeah. yeah. You're right. She does, like, round food. Well, anyway, Charlie is freaking out. Yeah, he's barking and circling, so something's up. Mm-hmm. When The dogs always know when the goose first. Mm-hmm. And apparently the family hasn't seen each other in eight years. But again, as you pointed out, and we don't get anything touching, touching on this, Dad grew up in a castle. He grew up in a castle. So is he rich? It's This seems like a very dilapidated, gothic, you know, fallen nobility castle. Yeah, Crimson Peak type of a deal. Mm-hmm. But different climate. Yeah. Well, in addition to growing up in a castle, which seems very disconnected from the lives of his children and family, he hasn't spoken to his parents in, well, he hasn't seen his parents in eight years. I think that's extreme. Yeah, that's a lot. And they clearly live within driving distance. I I don't recall how long they were driving for, but yeah, it seems like the reason that they're going is that the castle is within driving distance of Atlanta and they need just someone to watch the children. Yeah. And they can't ask their exes. Yeah. Who presumably would have custody rights of some kind, but maybe not. Maybe not. It's very complicated. But yeah, it's it's very strange. And, and again, there's no Gretchen asking her dad, like, so dad, what was it like to grow up in a castle? She's just bored. Yeah. She does not want to ask any questions. She's bored by a castle. <laughs> and the family's all talking about family history, but Gretchen and Clark are just totally uninterested and uh, then are really upset. They want to watch TV and they find out there's no TV. And that's when they find out there's no phone. Because they don't know many people who are still alive. Exactly the quote I was going to point out. Mm -hmm. Yes. And their car is supposedly broken down. But they use it later. Yeah. But if they don't know many people still alive, Mm -hmm. does that mean they're like the guy in Abominable Snowman of Pasadena, maybe picking people off if anyone gets too close to them? You know what? Maybe seems like that. 
Yeah. I don't know. There's just a lot of weird stuff going on with this whole family that I kind of wouldn't be surprised if they were up to shady stuff. I wonder if they're not even dad's parents. I wonder if it's some kind of Rosemary's Baby situation where he made a deal with these people to sacrifice his children yeah. for his Atlanta-based career. Yeah. <laughs> Fun stuff. You know what else is ominous? Hmm. They get their messages at the general store from Mr. Donner. I know. Yeah. Like the Donner party. Mm-hmm. So they go to bed kind of early. Gretchen's room is huge and she thinks has no windows. Yeah. She hears howls from outside and other swamp noises. She wakes up the next morning and realizes that there is a window. It's a sort of weird turn of events. She sees it was. It. I think the moments like that, just like with the lemon meringue pie in Bad Hair Day, it's just Arlstein needing more words in the story. <laughs> so the next morning she wakes up, realizes there's a window, sees a purple bird, and then... And we... puts on a pink t-shirt, her favorite color. <laughs> yeah. And then we get what is perhaps the dumbest fake out yet. Oh, this is so funny. She goes to check on Clark, and there's a pile of clothes on his bed, and she can't find him anywhere. And she's like, Clark's gone. He disappeared. And he's like, no, I'm standing over here. Those are my pajamas. I took them off so I could change into real clothes. But he couldn't find his pants. (laughs) So he's kind of like hiding in the closet. (laughs) So, yes, she's like, oh, they might be in my bag. I guess they must have been. Yeah, because apparently mom packed their suitcases. They're, They're 12 and 11, right? Or are they both 12? They're both 12, yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of on them. Yeah. He can't find his pants. Maybe mom's just controlling. Seems that way a little bit. Yeah. Grandma is making blueberry pancakes. And this scene is upsetting. She's just got batter smeared all over her. It's kind of cruel the way it's described. How yes. it's like crusted into her wrinkles. It's really weird. The, the entire place is a mess. Yeah. Her face is striped blue and white. And she gets them all over the kids too. Yeah. She wipes her hands on her apron and then hugs them so they get it on them. This gave me Heath Ledger's Joker vibes. Ooh, I didn't think of that. That's good. Yeah, it gave me kind of, oh, you shouldn't be cooking anymore. Or watching children. Yeah. Yeah. She makes everyone like 10 pancakes each, and she doesn't eat any herself. Yeah, there's something weirdly upsetting in this about too much food. Mm-hmm. Just the idea that it even when you don't take into account that, oh, some of this turns out to be for a monster, it's like, why are you making so much food? It's stressful. It's like an ironic form of care almost. Yeah. And then Gretchen, she's joking around, but she tells Clark, Grandma will be insulted if you don't eat all of the food. And then she puts a stack of 10 pancakes in front of him and he is like turning green. Yeah. Gretchen remembers that they had actually brought gifts for their grandparents and their grandparents like mystery novels. So she goes upstairs to get them, but she gets spooked in the hallway and she sees Grandpa Eddie going somewhere with the pancakes. And she goes, oh, here's a real mystery. It's a very, uh, here is a genre blend we're doing. Mm -hmm. Mystery. Yeah. So she tries to follow him, but then Charlie comes after them. I I assume Charlie was going after the pancakes, to be perfectly honest. Like this, this is a golden retriever. He is like, I'm on it. And so she tugs Charlie along because he's blowing her cover. This is aside, but do you think the pancakes are drugged? Do you think that's why grandma won't eat them? Oh, maybe. And like why they're giving them to the monster? And to the children? Yeah, just keep them all chill. I mean, they're carb- they're heavy carbs already, so maybe that's just, you don't even need drugs, you're just sleepy. Because <laughs> it's weird, like, well, we'll get to it, but like right after this scene, the kids like go for a walk and then they like get 10 feet out the door and turn around and come back and it's evening. Huh. Yeah, maybe you're right. To be fair, though, that's about the extent of which I would want to hike in a swamp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Grandma suggests they go out and play after after they eat. And yeah, Gretchen keeps wanting to go into the swamp. I don't get it. But I also don't like nature. Maybe she just doesn't want to be in the grandparents' house. That's true. But why into the swamp? I guess, I mean, I don't know. You go play in the road? I don't know what you're going to do. Well, I always like to explore forests as a kid. Mm. You know, like walk around, find blackberries, jump on a log. (laughs) (laughs) So, and then Grandpa is going to go build something and he invites them to help because it says building things builds character. (laughs) But they're like, nah. Speaking of building things, building suspense. He's carrying around a giant saw and it's very creepy. Do you think he's one of those guys who's like, I can also play music on this saw? Probably. He's like I waiting he's for in the a band. Yeah. Someone with like a washboard, you yeah. know? Um, but, and a jug. <laughs> but I think that it's just a nicely done rural horror type of moment where you see someone walking by with a huge, terrifying saw and just kind of eyeing you like, hey, outsider. So we learn about cypress knees also, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, a root that sticks up. Yeah. Yeah, it Very comes inconveniently. up like three times in this book. Yeah. Clark trips over one. 
And Gretchen's like, it's a gator. And he gets really scared, like so scared he starts shaking all over and she feels bad. And so that's when, like I said, she's like, let's go back and help grandma with the pie. Yeah, my note is like, oh, that was fast. Yeah, Yeah. grandma just sent them outside. Yeah. But I think maybe time's moving weird for them. Yeah. And also on on their way back in, Gretchen tells Clark about seeing Grandpa Eddie with all the pancakes. And he says, maybe he just wanted to eat them and dead. (laughs) That's how he lives his life. He's old. He can do it. Yeah. And so Grandma is in there making three rhubarb pies, which Gretchen finds ominous. And I find looking a gift horse in the mouth. I know. Like, I don't think three is that many. No. Pies. Yeah. I could eat half a pie. There's four people here. There's four people. They can, like, three people can share one pie. I can have the other two. (laughs) Well, also, so Grandma's like, you can help me make this pie, which she says is so sweet it'll make your teeth fall out. (laughs) Uh, Which, again, maybe that's useful for the monster, actually. Mm, Yeah. Make its teeth fall out. But she doesn't actually really let them help. No. And then Clark says also that at home, mom always shoots him out of the kitchen because he's too much of a pest. And Gretchen says, well, you are a pest. And then she thinks, well, mom doesn't let me help either. <laughs> so it does sound like she has some control freak uh, tendencies. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Clark is allowed to measure out the sugar mm-hmm. and Gretchen is allowed to roll out the dough. And then they both are shooed off with a glass of milk. More things to put them to sleep, I guess. That's a really good point. That's I hadn't picked up on it reading it, but that's totally what's going on here. I think they wanted to feed the kids to the to the monster. I think so, too. And just left those notes as like, oh, geez, we Insurance. told them. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I don't know why they didn't read it. And, and so Grandpa wants them to work. They don't want to. And so Grandma says, go explore the house. Like, basically, get out of my hair. And the only, the only rule is don't go into the locked room. If you hadn't mentioned it, it probably wouldn't have been a big deal, yeah, right? Yeah, would have just been like, oh, this room's locked. I guess we can't go into it. Except they left the key in the door. That's the thing. That's why it's so suspicious. Because, like, if you really didn't want them to go in there, you'd have boarded up that room the way you boarded up the rest of the house and taken the key. And they board up the rest of the house fast. Yeah. So while the kids are off playing hide and seek, although maybe they're doing everything in slow motion, the they're, kids are. They're, yeah, they're boarding up the windows and then eventually they'll lock the, the house from the outside. Yeah. That must have been what he was doing with the saw is, like, That's getting true. boards to... Yeah. Yeah, if like only they had helped, they'd have known. Yeah. Also, how does Grandma make the pies this fast? Maybe she had the filling prepared already. Oh, okay. They just need to roll out the dough and... Yeah, because between when they see her and then when they get back into the kitchen, the pies have been made mm-hmm. and are sitting out. She didn't just leave them in the oven and burn the place down. Um, although some of them are left in the oven, but oh, I guess the right. oven is off. Wow. Freaky. But the, So the, the kids go do explore and they find a lot of weird stuff they find a room that is filled with just boxes and boxes of newspapers and then clark is says, it boxes cartons oh cartons. yeah cartons that's right <laughs> um rl stein's word for boxes yeah is that an ohio thing i wonder i don't know yeah it's probably regional yeah goosepunks if you were putting all your stuff in storage and you would say the word carton to describe what you were putting it in please write and tell us where you work from so we, can, we can get to the bottom of this mystery. Where do they say that? So they're going through it, and Clark says, oh, there's some magazines over there. I bet you'd really be into those. And Gretchen picks them up, and the box is full of cockroaches. And this horrified me. I was so disgusted. I'm itchy even talking about it. Yeah, I didn't think you'd like this scene either. No. Clark is an asshole. That's really hard. I don't think he saw them. I think he was oh. just like, because she had to pick them up to find the right. the, the bugs. So I yeah. think that he was just like, oh, you like magazines? Those are magazines? Yeah, well, that's the thing with this house is I don't think Grandma and Grandpa get to all the rooms, you know, so they probably don't know what's living in it. It's huge. Mm -hmm. Again, the kids say that their house could fit inside of the living room. Yeah, exactly. And Gretchen's room is the size of a gym. (laughs) Like, maybe not a very nice gym, but still. Yeah, actually, when I was uh, doing martial arts downtown in New York in this gym that was in a basement, it was also a windowless room, and... It had mats on the floor, but sometimes if you hit the mats really hard, a cockroach would come up from underneath it. Ugh. Yeah. It was next to a pizza place, I think, was the problem. Mm. It was upsetting. Yeah. It was really gross. Good workout, though. <laughs> and then so the next thing they go into, they find old toys, but they're all pretty wrecked, like dolls with missing eyes. There's a decapitated, oh, yeah. decapitated queen on the chess set. And a monkey with its arm yanked off. A bear with its head twisted out of shape. So something... At first I thought, are these the monster's toys? Well, that's the thing. At, the fir- at first I thought, oh, they have a monster child or something yeah. like that. Like the monster's their kid. Dad's brother or something. Yeah. It still could be. Mm-hmm. But also, or maybe these are like, dad was a really violent kid and these are all his toys he destroyed. Yeah. 
We get no explanation. It's just a just a just a little setting to wander through. And there's a rocking horse that moves on its own mm. just to complete the scene. But also, again, now that we've come up with this, maybe the kids are on drugs thing. Like maybe they're just seeing everything as much scarier than it is. <laughs> there's a fake out where Clark scares Gretchen by saying "boo." Yeah, the fake outs are pretty bad in this one. Mm-hmm. And then they decide to play hide and seek. And then Gretchen's complaining because Clark calls Not It and goes to hide. I forgot about calling Not It. Yeah. And then um, she's like, oh, I really don't want to play, but I should just find him to end this. But like, that's the great thing about being it. You can just go fuck off and be like, I'm not looking for you. Yeah. And we're done playing. But I guess there's not much else for her to do. That's true. But yeah, I agree. And yeah, so she goes and explores some more rooms. One has a player piano in it. And then in that room, she has kind of a cartoon moment where she's walking and then realizes there's no floor beneath her. And she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, and exactly. Runs back onto solid ground. Yeah. So like part of the floor is rotted away in a certain part. I think she's tripping balls if she thinks she was standing over nothingness and ran back. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, the part of the floor is just completely rotted away. It's like kind of a staircase. Mm-hmm. There's railings. So that's, that's exciting. It's what happens when you build in a swamp, I guess. Yeah, and then she finds the locked door. And then she decides she's going to trick Clark into being it by hiding and making him come out and find her. Yeah, which doesn't make sense. Like, he won't be tricked into being it. He'll just be hiding forever, and so will you. Yeah. So she thinks about hiding in a dumbwaiter, which I'm glad she didn't go in there, because I feel like, based on Headless Ghost and also Pet Cemetery, nothing good comes out of dumbwaiters. No. But it doesn't come up again in the book. Um, But yeah, she then thinks... She hears a a crash behind the locked door and thinks Clark must be hiding in there. Also, side note, the name Dumbwaiter is pretty messed up, right? Yeah. Like, it brings you food, but it doesn't talk? Yeah. Okay, that's just a thing people thought was acceptable. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Cool. All right. So anyway. Shouldn't we come up with a better name for it? Yeah. The thing is, I feel like they're just not infrequent use enough to to need a new name. Like, I feel like they're historical in that regard, but like... But I bet you there is... A pulley system. Yeah. Like, (laughs) what would you call that? Like, the food elevator. Yeah, food elevator. That's yeah. a great name for it. Yeah. And also not the... Makes it sound more appealing, too. Dismembered body parts elevator. <laughs> yes. Unless you're getting meat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is what that is. So you could just call it the dismembered body parts elevator. <laughs> Same thing. <laughs> well, Gretchen turns the key, opens the door, and it's not a fake out this time. And so there's, yeah, so there's a 10-foot monster holding the pancakes still. So my first note here was, so he didn't like the pancakes either. Oh, that's a good point. But then he starts eating them. And also he finds a beetle in his fur and eats that. Yeah. And he gets all this beetle juice and blueberry juice all over his fur. The monster's 10 feet tall. They've got high ceilings. Mm -hmm. He's furry like a gorilla, but has an alligator head, a scaly alligator head. Mm -hmm. I think... Probably Arlstein was like, what's something that would be in a swamp? It just reminds me of Beast from the East. I don't think of furry things as being in swamps. No, no, no. I mean, it's like, okay, we have the furry monster, but there has to be an element of it that is local. Yeah. I just don't see why it has to be furry. I don't either. Like, this now is really making me think that might not actually be a monster because it doesn't make sense that it would be, like, half mammal, half reptile, you know? No, it doesn't make any sense at all. So I wonder if someone's just like, here's some bits and pieces of costume. I'm going to pretend that I'm a monster. (laughs) R.I.P. that person. It'll be a fun, fun prank. Yeah. It would also make more sense when it later speaks English. Yes. And then makes a joke. Yeah. All right. So she runs away. And then Clark shows up and he thinks that she's just bunking him. And then he's like, ah, no, that is in fact a monster. Yeah. He opens the door, screams, is like, okay. Yeah. But they don't close the door. Or lock it. And then Charlie also wants to go after the monster because uh, he's, he's being a dog. And then they hear grandma and grandpa's car. So it must be fixed. And so they run, you know, run to the door. And then they find out that grandma and grandpa are leaving. And the door is locked from the outside. And the windows are nailed shut. Yep. There's only one window on their entire first floor. Or do they only just try one window? I think it said there was only one. Yeah, the only window on the entire first floor. In the library. Oh, wow. I, I just think it's, like, a terrifying design that there's only one window in their entire first floor. Yeah. Also, fire escape hazard. Yeah. I feel like at the time they were building castles in the swamp, they weren't <laughs> thinking about fire safety. Fair enough. I guess you don't have to worry as much about fire safety in a swamp. <laughs> but, yeah. And so, and this is also why it feels like there's some sort of plan here because, you know, it's not until they find the monster that Grandma and Grandpa are like, bye. 
Yeah, exactly. They were waiting for their signal. And then they hear the monster, like, throwing the player piano across the room. They're looking <laughs> for something to break the glass in the window. And then they hear something and realize that they're hearing Charlie. And he's hiding in a bathtub. Poor Charlie. I know. But they do a good job taking care of him. They just keep putting him in places where he can't try to be a hero. Yeah. Then they hear something else, and they come downstairs, and a message has been, like, slipped under the door, and they realize it's Mr. Donner from the general store. Mom and Dad aren't coming back until next week, when apparently they were only supposed to be gone for, like, a day. Yeah. This is why their trip doesn't make sense to me. None of this makes sense. Well, I think Mom and Dad either were killed. Like, you know, Mom and Dad, when they all went to bed that night that they dropped off the kids, they, like, supposedly left before the kids woke up. But... I mean, who knows what happened to them? Why wouldn't they say goodbye to them? Well, the other thing is, I feel like, so so my reading was, they knew they were not coming back for a week, and instead they are like, oh, we'll just be gone for a day. And oh, I was like, oh, bye. That's dirty. I don't know. But it just felt very fishy. It, it's fishy that Mr. Donner just suddenly pops up exactly mm-hmm. at that moment right after the grandparents left. Yeah. And leaves this message. And then um, there's a really weird part where they find then, so they, they're like looking around what, for what to do, and they find a letter, two letters from their grandparents on the fridge, and Clark accidentally drops it into the fridge for a second. Oh my god, I hate this so much. So they, the letter basically says, there's a monster. Our bad, we're going to go get help now that our car is fixed. You'll be perfectly safe as long as, and then he drops the letter <laughs> under the fridge. It's like, come on. It was a little funny and a little annoying. Yeah. It's like Earl Stein, knock it off. Yeah. But he's got to end a chapter somehow. Yeah. And then they get the letter back and it says, as long as you don't open the door and let the monster out, you'll be safe. Right. And if it does escape, you need to find a way to kill it. Which I'm like, is that the goose first way? Yeah. When you don't know, like, you remember, like, deep trouble and stuff? An unknown creature, your first response isn't kill it. (laughs) They don't even know that it's dangerous yet. No, they're just fucking off. Yeah. It's, like, mad that it's been trapped in a room mm-hmm. and was given subpar pancakes. Yeah. They hear the monster coming to get them. So then she comes up with an idea. They lure the beast to... And they immediately are like, yes, we're going to kill this thing. So they lure the beast to where the hole in the floor was. And it falls through the place where Gretchen was like, rot row. <laughs> and they don't even feel bad. They're no. like, he falls down. They're like, ah, eh, he's probably dead. And then... But it's only like, page 88. Right. I mean, yeah. And you'd think at this point in their life, especially Clark, who reads horror comics, would know, unless you see the body. And even if you see the body, it could always be still out there. So then so then they figure out he's still alive, and they find the pies. And so Gretchen takes one out of the oven and decides to poison it. And then she gets, like, oh, really intense into the poisoning. This part was so fucked up. I was also like, Arlstein, should you be telling kids about this? Yeah, so she goes in the supply closet. It's like, I'll put turpentine in it. And then she's like, and I'll, 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 like, sprinkle, like, drain cleaner on it. And I'll put rat poison in it. And ammonia and orange paint, and then mothballs for some reason. And then she's like, why doesn't he immediately go for this pie? <laughs> <laughs> it also seems like she's kid Jeffrey Dahmer, essentially. Yeah, something has been unlocked where there's like an amount of glee in poisoning something that is very over the top. Right. Well, like your Home Alone comparison. Mm-hmm. It's like, how can I really fuck someone up? But yeah, I just, I guess I felt like the danger is, what if a kid reads this and thinks it would be funny and doesn't yeah. realize that it could kill someone? Yeah. But maybe I worry too much. Don't give kids enough credit. Well, the monster comes down. And at first he's not interested in the poison pie. He gets the other pies out of the oven and eats them, but is still hungry. So then he goes and eats it. It seems like he's dead, but he's not. Yeah, he his stomach starts to rumble and he drops down on the ground. And so the kids pick up shovels to break out of a door. But then the monster starts roaring and growling and coming up behind them. Gretchen hits him with a shovel. Yeah, she's starting to remember the second letter, but... There's no time. Mm-hmm. Charlie tries to help. The monster, like, throws him across the room. Oh, man. And the monster's so gross up close. His eyes are full of worms. Ugh. And his mouth is full of bugs. Yeah. There's a lot of parasitism in the Gooseverse. Yeah. I've noticed after our last uh, mini-sode with uh, Ask a Scientist with Sam Levinson. Yeah. Dr. Sam Levinson. Yeah. This guy's just, like, sick with parasites. Well, he gets Gretchen, licks her, is about to eat her, and then says, Are you human? I'm allergic to humans. Are you fucking serious? Yeah, and then he falls down dead. Because Gretchen doesn't understand how allergies work. Well, yeah, yeah, he, like, grabs his throat, so I think he went into anaphylactic shock. Yeah. And immediately died. Yeah. And I also don't see... So they're like, okay, let's leave. I'm like, why don't you just, Wendy in The Shining style, 
drag him into one of the many rooms in this house and lock him in there. Mm -hmm. And then you can just stay in the house. Yeah. If it turns out he's not dead, it's okay. He's locked in a room for real this time. Yeah. And then they, they found a kind of a little back door out that's not locked. They go into the swamp and Gretchen says, oh, what about that second letter? And Clark is like, who cares? And Gretchen says, humor me. So he reads it and it says, don't go into the swamp because we captured this monster, but its brothers and sisters are waiting in the swamp. And if you kill it, they'll be mad. And also you'll hear them whistling to each other at night. And that's how we know they're out there. I don't think something with an alligator mouth can whistle. It doesn't have really the... Lips. <laughs> yeah, ability to purse its lips. Well, birds don't purse their lips, do they? How do they How do they make sound? How do birds make sound? I know someone listening knows. <laughs> no, of a very specific person listening who knows. Yes, our science advisor is probably just shaking her head right now. Well, anyway. I just have no idea how birds whistle. I never realized that before. So anyway, the <laughs> kids hear whistling and they realize the brothers and sisters are waiting and that's the end of the book. Da, da, da. Mm-hmm. Also, the grandparents were like, oh, this monster just got into our house and we didn't know what to do. But now it sounds like they maybe were luring monsters to their house. These grandparents are fucked up. Do you want to talk about horror taxonomies? I absolutely do. Tell us. Tell us, Alyssa. First off, we have Shades of Aging Horror, which we've talked about before, yeah. but there's very much this sort of horror at grandma and grandpa's bodies and the sort of state of disarray everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so I thought of Relic and things like the taping of Deborah Logan, which we've talked about on the pod before, but there's very much this are the caretakers okay uh, vibe. With the fear of aging, there's also fear of death, right? And I think being in this swamp where it's full of decay and being in this castle that's also moldering all around them, the kids are being confronted with the fact of decay and yeah. they're very upset by it. They don't want to believe in it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my first one was Swamp Murder. (laughs) Have I talked about the Robert Block story Enoch before on this podcast? I don't think so. I don't think I have either. It's a really cool story. So Robert Block, writer of weird fiction, young protege of H.P. Lovecraft, wrote Psycho, as in... (laughs) And he also wrote Enoch, which is a cool story about this guy who lives in a swamp... And it's told from his perspective, and there's a little man called Enoch that lives on top of his head. And no one can see it but him, but it makes him kill people. Wow. And the story's told from his perspective, and it's one of those cool ones, which I think similar to this story, you don't know, is there really a monster that's causing these swamp murders, or is this person just losing it? Oh, wow. And uh, another example of swamp murder I thought of involving a messed up family situation extended family situation is the episode of night gallery the cemetery which had ozzy davis in it as portafoy the butler and it's this one about a haunted painting there's a bad nephew who's trying to take his uncle's fortune and house out in this swampy area and this painting ends up scaring him to death and it's there's more to the story than that but it seems like Tiger King is another example, right? <laughs> Swamps are a great setting for murder. Good yeah. place to hide the body. Creepy. Like, all kinds of weird stuff could come out and get you that you didn't know existed. Yeah, there's just an abundance of life, things that you can't see. It's moist. Yeah, it both is full of life and full of death at the same time. Yeah. So I had, uh, you know, thinking about setting as well, Bluebeard stories. Yes. So this is the, you can go into any room except the one locked room and you get punished if you go into it. Like Beauty and the Beast also. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast. Um, And I was thinking specifically of The Bloody Chamber by Angela Carter, which is a a retelling of the Bluebeard story with different kind of ending. But as soon as you introduce the idea of a room you can't go into, you're immediately waiting for the person to transgress and go into that room. Well, and in those examples we just gave... Those are all ones where it's a young woman, as in this book, being told not to go into a specific room. And usually the metaphor is something to do with her sexuality, right? Mm -hmm. So in Bloody Chamber, it's like when you open this door, there's blood on the key, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like a a hymen kind of situation. And so I wonder, I don't feel like this book is about unlocking your sexuality, but I guess whenever you're talking about hidden parts of your family, it's not unrelated to sex and reproduction. And... You know, in the Bloody Chamber and similar ones, whenever you go into the Forbidden Room, you're unlocking all kinds of violence and Mm -hmm. violence that immediately threatens you. So immediately you are putting yourself in danger for having done that. Yeah, yeah. If you think of the house as like analogized either to the family as a collective or 
to your consciousness. The locked room is obviously whatever it is you're trying to keep repressed or buttoned up or whatever. And then in this case, something super violent is let out or something dangerous or something shameful. Opening up what the family doesn't want opened up. Yeah. And, you know, we'll get into this in theories and queries, but I want to talk about what is this family got to hide. I had a related taxonomy point, which was trapped in a house with a fucked up family. <laughs> and I put actually often including forbidden rooms. So I was thinking of boy. If you've uh -huh. ever seen boy, it's this person who's supposed to be babysitting. And I don't want to give too much away, but similar to this ends up getting locked in with something. Yeah, just it's if it, I just kept thinking about it in this one because it's also a twisting meandering house. It's very isolated. Last House on the Left is a classic about someone getting trapped with a family that turns out to be more than what they seem. Also involves a scary saw. <laughs> and then one we saw recently for our first time that I highly recommend is Satan's Slave, which is an Indonesian film from 1980, which is uh, this family who the mother passes away. They're this kind of wealthy, elite, westernized family living out in also a kind of secluded, foresty type area, and they start getting haunted by this awesome demon woman. And similar to this, it's a lot of being trapped in the house. It's a lot of familiar family members turning on you in some way, and things that are represented as external monsters really being about something wrong internally within the family. In this case, it's because they've left behind their religious faith. Um, <laughs> Well, that's one way of looking at the movie. I feel like a little bit, it has this kind of religious morality story tacked on to what's really just a like, oh shit, demons, guys, what if <laughs> kind of a story. Yeah, and that's re related to a point that Carol Clover makes right about the home, which is supposed to be the sanctuary for the specific, you know, group of people becomes the thing that traps you inside with yeah, all exactly. of those sort of monstrous things. Actually, it's related to something I had, which was someone is living in your house. Uh, mm -hmm. And I should probably specify someone you don't know is living in your house, is living in your house. <laughs> I mean, isn't it always scary when someone's living in your house? Yeah. There's the boy, which you, which you just mentioned, and also the Australian horror comedy Housebound Ooh. about somebody who's under house arrest and, and, you know, strange things are happening in the house. And I also don't want to give it away, but very much a weird horror about who's here that doesn't belong here. Who is actually seeing all of the things that I'm trying to keep hidden? Yeah, you have no privacy. Something could always be watching you. Yeah, because the flip side with Last House on the left, right, is the people being attacked by the family are also the people who attacked the family's daughter. There's somebody in your house who's not, who, who is isn't a threat. Supposed yeah, isn't yeah. supposed to be there. I wonder if the grandparents are really supposed to be there. Right. But or like, if, does the castle really belong to these monsters? And is it like, in order to get to keep having this castle and whatever rights or powers come with it, we have to keep these swamp creatures happy? I mean, it's really hard not to, to read some metaphors onto that, right? About like, oh, we came and we mm. took this, right? And oh, well, these, these creatures who are not even human, they just want to take it. They want to come for us. They want to protect each other for some reason. Right. But, but you, you know, you should kill them. I don't know. It just yeah. seems like this is a fraught metaphor, especially I mean, set in, in America and in the South. Absolutely, right? Definitely the South is known for having uh, driven Native peoples and enslaved people into swamps to hide out. And obviously, we're not comparing, we're not making that comparison of like, oh, these people are like monsters, yeah. but rather saying monster stories are often ways of saying, oh, these bad people who we have a right to kill because they're monsters that's who's out in the swamp when in reality it's someone who you wronged yeah and it's also not to say that nothing bad ever happened in the north or the west or oh, wherever no, I wasn't because... saying that either yeah yeah but swamp is specific because of the exactly. um, terrain yeah exactly like it was making me think of like so in school we did not learn very much about native americans but we did learn about the seminole tribe in florida kind of having to hide out in yeah. the swamp mm -hmm. yeah so Earl Stein's back on his colonialism train. Yeah. A little bit unwittingly, I would say. I, I believe so. Yeah. Telling the story, not thinking about the story. I mean, yeah, that's and that's that's sort of classic. And we've already pointed out the ways he's remixing even his own stories. I think he's a synthesizer and remixer and, you know, reteller DJ of stories. Stein. Yeah, DJ Stein. <laughs> waka, waka, waka. Yeah, yeah. And it's like not necessarily with a sort of like, I understand that this is a metaphor for that so much as like, these are stories that are in the cultural consciousness that carry this baggage. Well, exactly. And that's why we're always saying, you know, it doesn't matter if the author intended it necessarily, because if you're retelling a story that grows out of and reinforces a set of assumptions, then it's still doing that work, whether you know you're doing it or not. Yeah. Which is why it's good to check yourself <laughs> when you're telling a certain type of story. Yeah. 
alligators. Nice. That was my next taxonomy point. I really liked alligators when I was a kid. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think all little kids like alligators, sharks, dinosaurs, you know, because you're so small and you're yeah. like, I want to identify with this killing machine. Yeah. It's so cool and I'm so scared of it, but it also can't probably get me. Yeah. Especially dinosaurs. <laughs> so I thought about like Placid, of course, the Betty White movie. Oh, God. The Betty White vehicle. <laughs> yeah. And the biggest one that was Crawl, which came mm-hmm. out, that was one of... Not the last movie we saw before lockdown, but it wasn't too many months before lockdown that we saw it. Yeah. I guess it was the summer before. Mm -hmm. But anyway, especially that one made me think of this because she is trapped in a house that's filling up with water um, that has gators loose in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's really, I thought it was cool. It's not like a super thoughtful movie. It's just really cool. (laughs) And also has a bunch of family drama in it, right? Where she's like trying to, on some level, repair her relationship with her father, who's kind of a mess. But then there's this monster creature, too, in there that becomes a way of putting them into this extreme relationship that maybe repairs what's going on between them. Mm-hmm. Did you have any others? Yeah. Um, so I have hoarding. Ooh. Because the so the interior of the house really gives us a, a window into the grandparents' state of mind, right? And so when they go through all these rooms that are full of, like, old newspapers and destroyed toys, like, it's on some level a lot scarier than the monster it's like because it's reflective of the people that are supposed to be taking care of them it's reminded me of uh the novel the twisted ones by t kingfisher which the the sort of basic premise is this woman is cleaning out her grandmother's house and her grandmother was known for being like really old and mean and also like collected these weird dolls and all these newspapers so the house is itself like a fire trap and then these weird creatures start showing up that themselves seem to be like a collection of things the um objects in the house in addition to just being like sort of horrifying in their quantities right this woman was clearly not well also become um dangerous yeah i was thinking about horrifying quantities with the food and i couldn't think of a term for what was going on so i think i love the way you're describing it as hoarding horror yeah it's both distress at the kind of uncleanliness it's like the house isn't safe this is supposed to be the place that is a sanctuary but it's full of parasites and other creatures and then these, these grandparents are hanging on to weird relics of the past way too long. It just feels like they're not well in some way. Yeah. I had one more. I do too. So why don't you go ahead? Scooby-Doo. <laughs> the color scheme on the front of this looks like the mystery machine, first of all. <laughs> Second of all, the plot is so Scooby-Doo-like. It's like, there's a monster in this house that loves pancakes, you know? <laughs> and they're like driving around, going to strange places. Um, and then... Probably stoned. Yeah. And then the ending where oh, that would actually explain with all the pancakes and the three pies, too, from right. Grandma. But Grandma and Grandpa are just stoners. Yeah. And that's why they haven't like cleaned up. Yeah. Exactly. They're like, why are you so uptight? Yeah, man. Yeah. There's room in the house for all the things. <laughs> but then at the end, when the monster's like, oh, I'm allergic, it felt like something out of Scooby-Doo, like yeah. a kind of kooky comedy bit. But where it goes differently is... They actually kill the monster. He doesn't take off his mask and reveal it's some guy. Mm-hmm. It's actually Mr. Donner. Yeah. Which now, the more I talk about it, I'm like, what if that's it? <laughs> you know? He even looks like a Scooby-Doo monster, yeah. right? Detachable head and all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you're saying that, it reminds me of the movie Super with, with Rain Wilson and Elliot Page, where Rain Wilson decides he's going to be a real-life superhero, but immediately it's really upsetting because he's like, oh, you cut in line. I'm going to get in my costume. And then he like hits the guy in the face with a wrench. I was just thinking about that moment. Yeah. And it just so it just escalates where it's like, oh, we all thought we were playing at a certain level. But actually, when you introduce this into the real world, it's really upsetting. Yeah. It's not like in the comic books, mm-hmm. like which this, of course, references with creatures from the muck. And then yeah. you get to see the real world version of that. Yeah. Um, so my last one was The Monster Was One of Many, which is our sort of final final horror. It reminded me specifically of, uh, there's an episode of The Outer Limits called Relativity Theory where, you know, humans go to this planet and there's this alien species and they're all debating, like, do we kill them? Do we try and befriend them? And someone's like, rah, kill them. And then it turns out that these were just juveniles. They were basically, like, kids on a camping trip and their parents found out what happened and are coming to now wipe out all of humans because they can't be trusted. Yeah, I, I know. I love that kind of story. Kind of like in Go Eat Worms, right? It's like, oh, there's all these worms everywhere. Oh, there's the big one, right? Yeah. And it it is something that's also often played almost for laughs, right? It's like, oh, you had to work so hard to kill this one version of whatever it was. And now there's like 50 of them. And it's both supposed to be a scary moment, but also kind of funny. Yeah. Like that scene in Lord of the Rings where all the orcs are like 
crawling up to them all at once right before the Balrog shows up. I didn't need this. <laughs> I think this is another book where the kids maybe die at the end, or it's implied they probably die at the end. Yeah. Or they go join this monster family. I don't know. I feel like they're going to be mad when they find out what happened to their sibling. Yeah. it's not. This is, might not be the start of a successful blended family. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> oh, man. So I guess we should do shared universe, but I really want to get into unpacking the family dynamics. But shared universe? Yeah. So I have two points here. So the first one is, what do you think is the relationship between this book and specifically this monster and You Can't Scare Me? I think that these are the same type of monsters, just in different regions of the country. Mm -hmm. But I think, so in, in You Can't Scare Me, it was like workers who were flooded out and died. There must be something in the goose verse that means... You know the way that fossilization happens if you get buried in mud? Yeah. In the goose first, it must be not so much fossilization as zombification that forever ties you to the mud. Mm, yeah. I like that. Yeah. So it happened there. It happened happened yeah. here, too. So there's probably some other story of gross disenfranchisement, violence, something that we just didn't get the story of in this one. Exactly. Although it doesn't totally explain the crocodile head furry body no, no, it doesn't. I mean, we had some creatures like that also in Beast from the East, right, that were a mix of different types of animals stuck together. Maybe that's also just something normal in the Gooseverse. Our normal scientific taxonomies don't really work, yeah. which makes sense because our, our scientists are pretty messed up in this, this, this verse, too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I had a related question to that, which is, so this is a monster. We've Again, we've had so many types of monsters. We're also in Georgia, where we know that Evan, a few years ago, tried to dump monster blood into, like, a forested area near a stream. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if possibly some of that got out. Maybe it mixed with something, and maybe that's what created the monsters. Oh, I like that. So yeah. maybe it was just there happened to be a Muppet and an alligator in the area. <laughs> and they fused and yeah. became bigger. Exactly. Yeah, they're like, what am I? <laughs> Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Because, yeah, as we point, we've we pointed out, there there can't be no environmental impact from dumping a bunch of monster blood in, in, you know, water. Yeah, and he kept trying to do it, like, all over the country. Yeah. You know, at, his grand, at his aunt's house and then at his new home in Atlanta, he keeps trying to dump it out. And I don't think that they get it all back in the jar each time. No, I don't think so either. So, yeah. And also, who knows what the fuck Kermit is doing? That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, this could just be the result of one of Kermit's experiments, actually. Maybe these weird mashup monsters that are bits of different things, also in Beast from the East, that whole landscape that doesn't make sense. This could all be environmental pollutants getting out. Yeah. Oh, I like that. It's kind of the overarching narrative of the Goose Verse, almost. If you start from Welcome to Dead House with the plastics factory explosion, it's kind of a story of the 90s as increasing environmental violations. Yeah. As uh, consequences for those become less and less. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And it just kind of spins out of control. Yeah. Gets into everyone's home. Oh, dear. So my other question is, so we know from other books that monsters exist in this universe sometimes they live among humans they're sentient things like that does this mean that grandma rose and grandpa eddie are essentially human traffickers like monster traffickers oh yes <laughs> so like because like what the fuck are they gonna do with this monster like they're just keeping it hostage they said they were going to get help for what getting it out i thought like getting it you know it's a humane trap and then releasing it into the swamp. It's a, it's at the very top of their castle, though. Like, yeah. I, I mean, we the don't know how floor. it got in. Yeah, that's true. I don't floor. know how many floors they have. Yeah. We don't know how it got in. That's true. But, like, it just feels shady. Yeah. I also don't think we can trust their explanation. I agree with you. Because also maybe they're going to be, like, I don't know, the people who just, like, they have a gas station and there's, like, a tiger at the gas station. Yeah. I bet that's totally what they wanted to do. They're like, we'll set up our own Swamp King before, you know? <laughs> attraction or maybe it has some kind of maybe they're hoping it has some kind of useful properties in it or you know so many of the scientists in the goose first that's their go-to is how can i profit off of this or i'll be famous for capturing it actually the goose kids too they do that you mm -hmm. know so that might be what their train of thought is but i don't think 
even though I think what they're implying is, oh, let's catch and release. It's almost like they're trying to start something with the monsters that they know live out there. They're like, come at us. Yeah, it's weird. Because clearly if this one got in, others can get in too. So if you're really worried about pissing off the other ones. I mean, they have boarded up their windows now. (laughs) That's true. Their window. Yeah. Yeah. Again, maybe. Yeah. Why don't they have any windows? I don't know. To keep out the monsters? Maybe the architect was also a stoner. <laughs> or maybe this whole place was built to... It's As kind a of, fortress? Yeah, like um, in Game of Thrones, this is the the wall. <laughs> but and that's another story, too, where it's like these white walkers are actually a metaphor for colonial violence. Yeah. Coming back to haunt you. Yeah. You've got to constantly be on guard that you are going to have consequences for your actions. But anyway, if they're trying to make their home a fortress, it makes sense that they would not have too many windows. Yeah. And also, maybe they just want the kids to take over for them. They're kind of leaving them holding the bag. They, maybe someone pulled the same thing on them at one point, and they're like, oh, come visit. We want to see you. And they're like, sucka, now you have to watch out for the monsters. Woohoo, the we're swamp, free! Right? And so now it's kind of like in um, The Barking Ghost, where they're like, now you're stuck in the dog body. It's like, now you're the keepers of the watch. <laughs> Did you have any other thoughts on that? No, that was it. Well, Goosepunks, tell us your thoughts. Help us sketch out this universe. <laughs> All right, so what is going on with this family? What is the monster a metaphor for? I don't know, man. I This family is so weird. Again, dad grew up in a castle. We don't get any commentary on that. Doesn't seem to phase mom either. Mom has a lot of swamp knowledge for some reason. Yeah. And they seem very, again, eager to just, you know, sort of drop the kids off there. I don't know. I feel like the plan was actually to leave the kids there for more of an extended period of time. Don't know the extent to which grandma and grandpa knew that. Also, Again, I like your, your point about, like, maybe these letters are just insurance in case the monster doesn't actually get them. Or does get them. Or does get them. Like, I assume that's what it's for. It's like a... Then we could say that we... We meant to. We we, we uh, gave them every warning. We don't know why they didn't read to not let the monster out <laughs> after we lured them upstairs to the locked door with a key in it. And also, if they survive and they are like, "What the fuck?" Then we said, "We left oh. you a letter. We yeah. left you two letters." I see. I see. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it could be some kind of test you have to pass to stay in the family. You know, hmm. like okay, you're both twelve. Now you have to be able to defeat a monster and survive in this family castle welcome to camp nightmare style yeah exactly yeah do you think there were more kids before that it's like dad the only surviving kid (laughs) that's very possible it's weird though they have to go so the family they are attacking is one that's all siblings right like there's the monster and all brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. but no generations as far as they know well that's what grandma and grandpa at least say in their letter so Mm -hmm. i wonder if the previous generation has been killed off. I mean, and when you're just thinking about the two family units, we have this hyper-generational one on the other side being contrasted with this one that is without authority figure, right? So uh, I wonder More if... More of the... a commune. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if the book is somehow about... You have these kids who are having stuff happen to them they don't want to happen to them and they don't have any say because they're the kids. And so maybe when they go break this one rule and open the store, that's kind of unleashing the, how about this other possibility where it's just a bunch of equals who look out for each other yeah, and actually do a better job looking out for each other. Like in this family, that's all just brothers and sisters. They want to avenge their family member rather than leaving them in a situation yeah. on purpose where they're going to maybe get killed. Or save him, you know, not yeah. just avenge him. But yeah, absolutely. Whereas... In this more hierarchical structure. Actually, it's everyone for themselves. Yeah. Good lesson for millennials. Yes. <laughs> as, like, as, as young kids, like, absorbing this lesson. It's like... It's true. Oh, power structures won't take care of me one day? Yeah. I might need to organize my workplace in order <laughs> to continue to have a living wage. <laughs> yes, you might. <laughs> Authority fingers don't have my best interest at heart. Yeah. Man. They weren't just putting those power dynamics in place to protect me. <laughs> well... Goosepunks, we want to know what you thought about how to kill a monster. All ever, all of your thoughts. Yeah. What is the monster? Why is it like that? What is up with this family? Why do they only eat round foods? <laughs> uh, on a scale of one to five bewares, what would you rate how to kill a monster? 2.5. Yeah, me too. It had some really cool stuff in it. It was just very thin, I felt. Very thin. Very, I don't want to say lazy, but I want to say lazy fakeouts. I thought he was being funny. Yeah. I think he was just messing with you. It wasn't even being lazy. It's just like, haha, 
I guess it's just it's very silly and yeah, thin in a ways that I was like, ah, oh, man, I miss the books that were like packed with stuff happening. It's true. Yeah. I think he just had, you know, Spongy, our follower, um, our, our goose punk friend, Spongy445 pointed out that Earl Stein was writing a lot right now because he was really at peak fame as, mm-hmm. as the, about the author says, most popular author in America right now. Yeah. And so, yeah, he just didn't have time for the story, I guess. That's fair. Well, it's not enough time for us little guys anymore. All right. So what are we reading next week? What we're reading next week is Legend of the Lost Legend, which I'm skeptical about. Yeah, the title doesn't bode well. But it kind of sounds like Legends of the Hidden Temple, which is cool. Which I did like. Yeah. So maybe it'll be like that, but I don't think so. It looks medieval. We'll see. All right. Well, get in touch by sending us an email at saypodanddie at gmail.com. Or you can hang out with us on social media at saypodanddie on Instagram and Twitter. And leave us five bewares on Apple Podcasts and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps us reach more Goosepunks. Yeah, we're coming up on our podcast birthday in about a month, and it would be so cool. The best birthday present you could give would be a nice review. <laughs> Listener beware. Those, those were the scares. scares. Good boo. Good boo. Hey, Clark, we never read Grandma and Grandpa's letter, the second letter. What? Clark replied. We don't have to read it. The monster's dead. Where is it? Where's the letter? I demanded. I want to know what it says. Clark began to read slowly, struggling to see in the dim moonlight. Dear Gretchen and Clark, we hope you children are safe and well. We forgot one word of warning in the first letter. If the monster gets out, and you do kill it, and escape from the house, stay on the road. Do not go into the swamp. The monster's brothers and sisters live in the swamp. Dozens of them. We think they're out there, waiting for him. We've heard them whistling to each other every night. They're unhappy their brother was captured. They're waiting for him to return. So whatever you do, stay out of the swamp.